You're offering me a job? Uh-huh. Waitresses hate me. Well, you wait till you've given them crabs. in that tunnel turn that car was way out of shape. Well, you think it was luck? Let's do it again. Hello, old sport. You are listening to I Saw in a Movie, an advice podcast co-hosted by your friendly cinematic pals at Movie John. I am the old sport and classic coroner, Rosalie Kicks, and this is my film pal, The Red Herring. Ryan Silverstein. And each episode, we take a question from our listeners and go to the movies for the answer. So, hey, Ryan, I have to tell you something funny. Okay. So your last name, right? Yes. Okay. So you listen to my other podcast, Cinematic Crypt. Mm-hmm. Well, like after weeks and weeks of Ben telling me, Because I guess apparently I was saying your last name wrong. But now I remember how to say it because Ben told me you need to think of Frankenstein. Yeah, no, exactly. I should. It's funny because I've never really thought about it that way. Um, But I should I should use that more often. um, When people. Yeah. So now, like every time I get to the part in Cinematic Crypt, when I'm doing the ad about this show. I just think Frankenstein, Silverstein. And now I like it, I have no issue. But before I Perfect. think I was saying like Silverstein or something. Yeah, I mean, uh pronouncing the last part Steen is Or Steen, that's it. Yeah. Yes. It's very common. That's like the American English kind of pronunciation um for it. So, you know, my whole life it's been I kind of go, and that's that's my like Twitter and Instagram handle and things are silver whatever because. <laughs> oh, that! Um, oh my gosh! So that's yeah. why that is this all yeah, one defense of, now. <laughs> yeah, because one of my college friends was like, like he just like said it in a moment as like a joke, um, and it was I just thought it was very funny, and yeah. I've been using it for years at this point. Yeah, so I just wanted to share that with you because I've been meaning to and forgot, but I think it's pretty cool that your last name is basically Frankenstein. Yeah, I feel like I'm in good company with uh, the good doctor. (laughs) So what have you been watching lately? Yeah, so, um, you know, we've talked before about the Barnes & Noble Criterion sale. So I watched a film that I picked up during a previous Criterion sale, not the most recent one, but one many, many moons ago, because I watched a movie that is very long. Uh, the runtime is 160 minutes, and um, it's it's intimidating to like put put the disc in and sit down and be like, all right, this is my next, you know, almost three hours. Right. Um, but I finally watched uh, Mike Lee's 1999 film Topsy Turvy, which is a Gilbert and Sullivan biopic. Okay. Um, I don't know this one. So what I really like about it that I didn't know going in, because that's kind of how it was pitched to me. I, I enjoy Gilbert and Sullivan. I'm no, by no means an expert, but like I know a couple of their songs. You know, I've seen productions of HMS Pinafore and Pirates of P- Penzance. Um, and then I've watched the film version of The Mikado and this movie is based around the creation of that opera. So it's as much a process movie, um, you know, kind of like your Ford V Ferrari, your, um, you know, any movie where they're um, going through how something comes together, like, you know, like a heist movie in a way, Okay. you know, Mm -hmm. and it's focused on the creation of this one opera. They're kind of stuck in a creative rut. They had a new show debut everyone was like well okay been there done that nothing new um and so their partnership is kind of at risk of splitting up but they decide to come back together to do one last project um after uh gilbert uh, his wife takes him to an exhibition of japanese people and culture um that's visiting london 
and he's struck by inspiration to create kind of, you know, a satire on British politics using a story set in Japan with Japanese sort of makeup and costumes and things. And, you know, the Mikado is a show, um, you know, on its surface, very problematic. When you dig into it, I think it's a little bit less problematic, just more ignorant. Um, Like, I don't think it's, ill-intentioned and i don't think there's actually as many stereotypes beyond some of the speech and costuming and things but for you know being done in the 19th century um you know i personally give it a little bit more leeway when a Um, lot of things were problematic i mean things are still problematic exactly (laughs) and that's like i said i don't think there's malintent so much as just a literal lack of knowledge um, you know, that at one point they bring in people from the exhibition to say, teach the actors how to move in a Japanese way. And the Japanese people are like, we have no idea what you're talking about. Right. Um, yeah, I know nothing about this. Uh, so did you think it was worth the three hour plus runtime? Definitely. And like I said, it, okay. it, um, I think it earns it in part because it's a little long because they're doing full on stage productions of segments of a couple of different Gilbert and Sullivan uh, operas. Um, So like you're getting, you know, five or 10 minutes sometimes of opera in between other scenes. And so like that, that certainly pads out the runtime. Um, The um, Jim Broadbent, is the lead. His performance is amazing. The characters are super interesting. And over the course of the movie, you spend time with, you know, the two of them as writer and composer, but also the actors, the people running the opera company, you know, you kind of jump around enough that like you get kind of everybody's story. So it's, it's a little bit like a, like a boogie nights even, okay. um, you know, where you're kind of getting every character's side story as well as kind of the main story and i found it really engaging you know it's also the kind of movie where like you're watching it at home it's long you could easily split it over two nights um i would also recommend if you're going to watch it to go and watch the version of the mikado from 1939 that's on the criterion channel uh streaming because it's done by the original opera company that gilbert and sullivan worked with and so kind of knowing, you know, seeing how the opera turns out, you know, because I watched that a couple months ago, even, you know, just to familiarize myself with it. Um, so watching that first and then watching this, you know, it just helped give some more context. Okay. Yeah, I, I will definitely look into it further. I, yeah, I know what you mean, though, about the long run times. It, it can be you know, I feel quite intimidating. Actually, Ben and I have this discussion all the time because I feel like if let's say it's three hours, for example, and you're halfway through it and you're just like, oh, I'm not feeling this. You've Mm -hmm. already invested an hour and a half. So, you know, it it can kind of be, it, it can be hard to sit through something that long. But one thing I have found is that it's definitely nicer to do so at home than in the theater, because at least at home you can take a break, you know, and maybe you start the film and then you can go back to it later. Uh, I really do miss intermissions at the theater. Like I wish if it's a long film that they would break for an intermission. Yeah, no, I'm a big fan of intermissions. You know, I think obviously the ideal is to watch a movie in a theater and even though it's long, you don't notice because you're so uh, just taken with the movie, but that doesn't always happen. So I agree. A lot of times a strategy I'll use is to be like, okay, I'm definitely, I'm going to commit to watching half. Mm -hmm. And if I'm in it and I'm not noticing it and I'm not sleepy, I'll just keep going to the end. You know what I mean? Or I'll be like, you know, do the kind of theater intermission where it's like, all right, I'll stop when there's an hour left. Yeah. Um, you know, so I'll try to kind of, you know, like I said, I'll, I'll set myself up to be like, all right, you can at least watch two hours because that would be the length of a regular movie. And then you can finish <laughs> the rest later right. if you need to. Yeah. And and to be clear, I, I agree watching it in the theater. My only problem is then you can't really eat or drink anything 
because mm-hmm. you're just like, I don't want to get up. <laughs> right. Because, of course, that's, you know, when something, when a big turn, yeah, there'd be like a 10 year time jump while you're out getting more popcorn and you come in and you're like, right. I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> Right. I hate that. So, I mean, that's, it's funny though, because now I'm remembering too, you know, talking about length of movies. Ben would always say that when he was younger, he had like two tape trauma. Like if he Mm. saw a VHS that was two tapes, he'd be like, no, I can't do it because it's too long. And that always makes me laugh. Because, I mean, now, like, obviously with DVDs and such, you know, the whole movie fits on one disc, typically. So, but he would always get, like, scared if he saw that a movie had two tapes. Yeah, I think the only movies growing up that we had that had two tapes were Titanic, which I saw in the theater. um, And then I think Dances with Wolves was two tapes that my parents had. And I don't think I ever watched it. Yeah. And Titanic is now like any thrift store you go in, they have like 20 copies Oh of, yeah, of VHS of Titanic. I should build a shed in my backyard just made out of Titanic VHS tapes. Now, that seems kind of cool, but only if the shed is in the shape of Titanic. Fair. Like Definitely I'm not fair. interested in a shed full of the titanic tapes but like if you made an actual ship with all of the tapes i would be into it okay all right do that's a challenge that's a challenge that i need to start working on so and you have a backyard um, so i do have a backyard you can mail your vhs copies uh to movie john uh, p.o box (laughs) p.o box 20172 philly pa 19145 Send them. We yep. will send them with a ship. nice note and a question, <laughs> and uh, I will get start. I'll get started on this project. Great. So, um, so I was going to ask you what you've been. Uh, what's your flick pick for this week? Yeah. So I think I had mentioned to you. I'm currently covering the 24th annual Fantasia Film Fest, which, due to our present dumpster fire of situation that's going on in the world it is happening virtually so it is a digital festival and i have not covered this fest before and i guess you know that's something positive about the pandemic is like having opportunities like this to cover a fest because go ahead i was going to ask where they're located like where the where the festival is when it's physical Well, yeah, that's kind of the issue of why I've never really explored going to it before. It's in Canada, but it happens typically like right before TIFF, like a month before. Mm -hmm. And so I typically in the past few years have gone to TIFF and I just can't swing going to two uh, festivals like out of the country that close together, especially because, well, as you know, I, I do a lot of this on my spare time. So vacation and cost and all of that. So when I saw that they were allowing you to apply for the digital press, I was like, sure, you know, I'll, I'll cover it. So I wanted to mention one of the movies that I watched recently from the fest. It's called The Mortuary Collection. And it's written and directed by Ryan Spindell. And it's kind of like an anthology of scary stories as it has like four different vignettes. And they're told over the course of about an hour and 45 minutes. But essentially like what happens is this young woman ends up going to apply for a job as a mortician's assistant. And the mortician is played by... Clancy Brown, and he goes by Montgomery Dark. And during the interview, she asks him to tell her some scary stories. So he shares like four different stories with her. And I think why I liked this movie so much is because I was rather shocked by like how well it's made. The overall production design and the style of like the locations and the costumes and sets are really fantastic. And like you can tell the director is definitely a kid of the 80s because a lot of it is inspired by like, I feel 
those like old like horror tales from when we were kids Mm -hmm. like well yeah we've talked about this movie on the pod before uh the house with the clock and its walls yeah yeah it kind of had that vibe but it was more like it definitely was a like the material was probably too much for like a kid uh but i would say like a teenager would be fine watching this but i do feel like the director was influenced by like the 80s and movies of that time but anyway the first story in the four vignettes like it starts off pretty simple and then of course like as the stories are told they kind of build up and they get more involved but in the first story i just love how he utilized one location and it was a bathroom and he basically he has this lady she locks herself in this bathroom to review like she had pickpocketed a bunch of people at this dinner party so she's kind of going through like oh what did i snag you know like wallets Mm -hmm. she grabbed like a pocket watch all kinds of stuff and while she's in the bathroom she encounters a creature that's hiding inside the medicine cabinet now it like sounds simple But, like, this bathroom was so freaking cool. Like, it was styled, like, in an oceanic theme. So, like, on the walls, it's, like, painted, like, an ocean. Mm -hmm. And then, like, her costuming was just so cool. Like, all of the colors made everything, like, pop. And I feel it's, like, when I watch horror movies, I just don't see that attention to detail. Like, this was meticulously made, and I thought that was really cool. Yeah, there's only a few horror movies where, like, color plays that important of a role. I mean, they're some of the best of all time, for, I think, for a reason. But I think often when I think of horror movies, they just have a similar dark palette. Right. Yeah, and they don't, like, I don't mean, like, I like some, you know, horror movies, slasher flicks, and things, but they just don't tend to pay attention to their settings that often or like making sure like, oh, yeah, we have good lighting, you know, and we mm-hmm. do have interesting costumes, like not, oh, I'm just going to put this lady in a tube top. Like, right. no, like the, the dress this lady was wearing looked like it was like a vintage, like 50s style dress, which was also like interesting too. like all the stories were kind of set in this like 60s or 70s era, which was really neat. And I was surprised again, just like how well done everything was with the props. And yeah, so I don't know like when it's going to come out you know, I'm sure it's going to hit some kind of like on-demand platform mm-hmm. at some point. The, I guess, unfortunate thing with Fantasia is, and a lot of fests are like this right now, is it's geo-locked. So meaning like if you don't live in Canada, you can't watch any of the movies. So you have to be a Canadian resident. Right. Uh, but I am sure this movie is going to get picked up somewhere. Like I could see it going on like Shutter. Or something. Uh, but um, one, are, go ahead. Oh, I wanted to ask a question real quick about the movie. Um, mm-hmm. Are all the segments directed by the same director? Yes, which also was interesting because Ben and I were discussing that. Like, normally with the anthology, you see different people. Mm-hmm. But one of the coolest things that he did that I really liked was in his last story he managed to incorporate a short film that he made previously. So like this girl is babysitting this young child and then on the TV playing is his short film that he made. And he, yeah. And he incorporates like that into this new story, which I thought was like, wow, that's really resourceful. Like you're using, cause he already had it shot. So, and it was his own material, which I thought was pretty neat. But yeah, normally with the anthologies, you do see like different writers or directors. But with this case, it was all his own material. And did you see the uh, scary stories to tell in the dark that came out last year? Uh, I did not. Yeah, because like watching this, I was like, 
this is what I was kind of hoping that was going to be. Because with that, it definitely, you know, the, I just felt like the tone of it was uneven. Mm-hmm. Like it definitely was trying to be like, again, like those 80s films that we grew up with. But I don't know, like there was just something inconsistent about it, which was upsetting. But that too was like basically like an anthology type as well. Right, right. Mm. Yeah. So again, it's called Mortuary Collection. You know, watch for it. I did see it played, I guess, at Fantastic Fest last year. That's where it premiered originally. So it actually came out last year, but hopefully it finds a distributor soon. Yeah, I'm sure it'll find a home somewhere on streaming. There's so many, you know, I feel like there's so many horror people out there that streaming oh, yeah. services are always picking up new horror movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So are you ready for this week's question? I'm ready if you're ready. All right. So, dear, I saw in a movie... While I know he might be a problematic fave, I want to understand more about how Tom Cruise became a movie star. What are your favorite performances? Maverick. So I don't know about you, but I only recently like got into Tom Cruise, or as I refer to him, Tommy C. Uh, yeah, I mean, I grew up a big Tom Cruise fan, um, you know. Top Gun, Rain Man, another movie that I'm going to talk about, uh, were all things we had on VHS, you know. So I, I grew up kind of a big uh, cruise fan. And then, you know, it wasn't until the whole um, the whole Oprah thing. Um, and, yes. you know, in like 2006, I guess, 2005, 2006, uh, where I was kind of off him for... A, a few years there like I don't I think I saw the War of the Worlds in the theater but I may not have um I definitely did not see Mission Impossible 3 in the theater um you know even up as far like it really wasn't until uh Ghost Protocol in 2010 that I was back on board with Tom Cruise and I think I've seen like everything that he's been in since like I've seen the majority of his filmography okay um yeah but but I did have a a period where I was completely out on cruise. Right. Yeah. It, it took me a while to come around on him. You know, he, as you mentioned, the Oprah incident. I mean, even before that, he always just seemed wild to me, but like mm-hmm. the type of wild that I just did not want to be a part of. And he also just seemed like somebody that could really use to be like tamed or reined in. And so, like, and this is, like, you're saying, like, the early 2000s. Like, now I feel he's more reserved. Like, he really, like, for example, on social media, like, he really only uses that to promote his movies. He's not really out there doing, like, wild interviews and things of that sort. Yeah, I think he's sort of toned down his public persona. Right. And I think that he's done a lot of film projects in the past decade or so that have used his intensity in, I won't even say interesting ways, because I feel like he's got like a couple modes now, but I feel like he has really honed in on, you know, uh, like the Mission Impossible movies, uh, the Jack Reacher movies, and even you know, Edge of Tomorrow is him playing a very different character. But, um, you know, it has that same level of intensity and focus. Like he's, he's a very intense actor. And I think that's one thing that unites all of his performances, uh, whether successful or not. But I think that intensity carried over into his uh, persona as a as just a person is uh, can be a bit much. Well, I wanted to share with you, I kind of felt before we gave our choices, I feel there's like several phases of Tommy. Like, so do you mind if I share with you? There's three uh, different phases that I can... No, this is, I, this is exactly, I think, answering the question. Then we can talk about a couple of our favorites at the okay. end. So phase one, I feel, is his hunk phase. And this mm-hmm. is like when he was in pictures like Risky Business cocktail top gun 
Like, Mm -hmm. they're fine pictures, but they're silly. And, like, clearly he's in them because he was a hunk. (laughs) Yep. Then you go on to phase two, which I feel was his phase of take me seriously, I'm an actor. Mm -hmm. And those are films like A Few Good Men, The Firm, as you mentioned, Rain Man could even be considered in that. And then Magnolia. Like, he's like, hey, look at me, I can act. Well, and Eyes Wide Shut uh, that he did with Stanley Kubrick is in that period. Yes. Uh, Jerry Maguire, you know, and Vanilla Sky working with Cameron Crowe. You know, even his, I feel like even Interview with the Vampire fits in that pretty well. And yes, honestly, that's one of probably my favorite Tommy movies. But then you go into the last phase of Tommy, which I feel he's in now, where he's like, I'm an action star, which involves him never he's always running like he's never not running Mm -hmm. and honestly like he doesn't even have to stop to go to the bathroom because he's now a robot like i think he is a robot and he is no longer a human and that would explain like how he can just continue to do like these crazy stunts and he's like 50 something years old yep and you know he hanging off the side of airplanes doing halo jumps for the mission impossible movies and then like it's interesting because i i definitely agree with your take about the phases and i think his i I do think there's actually a a phase in between his take me seriously and like now i'm gonna focus on being an action star Mm -hmm. so i think from let's say like after mission impossible 2 in like 2000 um or like after Vanilla Sky, two thousand, you know, he pick, he works with Spielberg for a little bit because they do Minority Report, and they do War of the Worlds in two thousand two and two thousand five. So, and he's in Last Samurai, he's in Collateral in that period. So I think that there's a there's a Who Am I phase oh. that I feel like ends with Tropic Thunder. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> I don't like and that then, movie at all. I, I'm not. I'm not a fan. We. Uh, I didn't watch it until actually relatively recently, and I mean parts of it are fine, but not for me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I I completely agree. And then there, so like that's his like who am I phase, and then I feel like coinciding with this action star phase, um, you get his 2008 movie Valkyrie that Brian Singer directed. I haven't um, seen that. So it's a World War II period uh, period movie about uh, a bunch of German Nazis uh, who are trying to assassinate Hitler. Okay. Um, and that is that was written by Chris McQuarrie, who directed the last two Mission Impossible movies. Gotcha. Yeah. So I feel like that's where they sort of like hook up and that has kind of you know and then after that he does night and day with um mangold oh that was uh, terrible an action movie it's fun like it's very Ugh, i didn't like it it's a good i don't actually feel like watching a movie right now movie <laughs> you know <laughs> that what I mean? is like, correct it is not really a movie yeah i mean like it's, it's totally thing. fine it's it's very forgettable and you know but it's but it, I think it's actually also better than a lot of action movies. Well, uh, and now that we're going through part. this, I mean, he really does have a lot of blemishes. Like, yeah. I don't know what your opinion is, but like that Oblivion movie, terrible. See, it's I think it's space fun. thing. I, oh, I like yeah. the soundtrack. It's it's like it's not smart, but I think it's it's fine. And it looks I think uh, this, I, I feel like I like the cinematography. It's been a while since I've seen it. Like the Jack Reacher movies, I could they're fine. No. Like no, they're terrible. I mean, they are... I'm not gonna watch I'm not gonna watch them ever again until I like, you know, become a fifty year old dad and then finally I'll I'll have to go back and be like, Oh now I understand. So I saw the second one in the theater, the second mm-hmm. Reacher, which Ben calls them creature features. <laughs> but sure. I saw so I saw the second Reacher film actually with one of Ben's coworkers. For a while, Ben was leaving town for work and he would go away for like three weeks. And I did want to see this Reacher movie. 
And Ben did not. Like, he was adamantly against it. And he's like, why don't you go see it when I'm out of town? Because Mm -hmm. I have no interest. And then the one day I got a text from Ben and he's like, hey, my friend, you know, from work wants to see it too. Why don't you go together? And like, (laughs) Ben essentially like set us up on this movie date and then told us where to eat dinner. And it was hilarious. And I mean, we had a great time. It was fun. But then the next time when Ben came home, we went back to that restaurant. And I think the lady was really confused because she was (laughs) like, wait a minute, you're with this guy, but now you have another guy. And it was really funny. That is really funny. The first one's better, I will say, because it has Werner Herzog in it as the villain. Oh, right. And the second one, I feel too, like the openings, there was like a sequence that reminded me very much of a Bond movie where it was like, it felt actually lifted and stolen like from an earlier Bond flick. I feel like they have decent moments. Like, again, not high. It's hard because like I'm looking at his filmography list right now. (laughs) Right. And... Rock of Ages is on there, and that movie is awful. Haven't seen it. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. like I said, it, in comparison, like, I'm just thinking of them in terms of, like, within the genre of action, like, I'm not necessarily going to go back to them, but they're the kind of movies that, like, if I were, you know, if this if this were, if these had come out 10 years before, you know, and this was, like, 2002, and they were on TNT all the time, I'd have seen each of them, like, 12 times. Yeah, I I just, I remember, so I actually, I'll get into my pick of the one that I chose. Oh, one, la- one last thing. Oh, sure, sure. I do need to shout out Edge of Tomorrow, which is amazing. No, that is a good flick. That's a good flick. And but I it's... also have to, mo- oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, but that's mostly because of Emily Blunt. But I think the fact that Cruz is perfectly willing to sort of like, it's an interesting because it's kind of a two-hander because he's definitely the main character because he's in the beginning and the end. But it's yes. more, but he like she gets plenty of room to do her thing and like really be the the breakout character in that movie. And I don't think that I think up until this point in Tom Cruise's career that never would have happened. Right. Okay. So. And they do have some good banter back and forth. Mm hmm. You know, and like the way that that movie uses the sort of Groundhog Day thing. And it's like, all right, we've had like we've had this conversation before and you don't see the first time for everything. Like you're jumping in and and she's like, wait, how many times have we done this before? And he's like, this is like 37. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just it's very fun and very and I think it's pretty clever. Um, I also need to shout out the Dark Universe. And oh, my God. The mummy is not terrible. No, no. Now you're just trying to rile me up because I hate that movie. Like, I wish it was never made. It is terrible. Terrible. So how do you feel about the 1999 Brendan Fraser mummy? Love it. Okay. How do you feel about the sequel to that movie, The Mummy Returns? Mm, Meh. Okay. So... Because to me, this mummy is on par with The Mummy Returns. Oh, my God. No. In terms of, like, it's fun. It's silly. Again, it's got some good moments. It's I'm just so saying. Bad. It's so I, bad. I enjoyed it. I've seen worse in the past. <laughs> like, I think this know. is one of those we have to agree to disagree. That's because fine. Because I will flip a chair over. Like, this, that <laughs> movie, I was so angry during it. Like... Ben had to calm me down after. Like, I was so enraged by that film. I And I really don't understand what he was thinking. Like, what was Cruz thinking? And that ending is just insanity. I think that's, I think those are all reasons why <laughs> I like that movie. <laughs> because I, I don't know what they were thinking. I don't know why they thought it would be a good idea. I think it has a couple of, set pieces that are actually executed pretty well and the rest of it is just like i don't understand why any of this is happening or who thought this was a good idea i will say this it did really i did find quite amount of pleasure 
that that movie killed the entire like dark universe like when it had barely been born yep it was like you know what we're not we're not going to do this they like shut the offices down burned all the evidence like dark universe does not exist and, and I will be honest, I think my favorite part of that movie actually is Russell Crowe as Dr. Jekyll. Oh, my God. He's so, so ridiculous. bloated. And like... He, he str- looks really bad, yeah. But, strange looking. But it, it to me, it fits the character. It, it fits a version of Jekyll. Here's, <laughs> here's the only thing I can tell you that I enjoyed from that movie. There is a moment or like a, just a quick cut where it shows you that the creature from the Black Lagoon, like his hand is in Mm -hmm. like a saline solution. And I was like, good. They're not going to try to remake that. And that was the only moment I enjoyed. Because I was like... They were. They were going to remake all of them at some point. (sighs) I just... They need to stop with that. But Invisible Man you liked. I I still haven't seen that, but... No, that, that was a good rendition i felt you know it brought it to like a present day scenario and it worked for me now i know that there's talks they're going to do a sequel and and whatnot and we'll see you know but i don't know now there's like more casting news of gosling as the wolfman and i'm like good night (laughs) like (laughs) now but we'll see you know we'll see they should remake werewolf of london Yeah, I, I it's one of these things like I, I love the Universal Monsters so much and now I'm on a complete tangent here, but I I will watch like whatever they do, but that doesn't mm-hmm. mean that I won't actively hate it. Like I'm probably I go into it like I'm probably gonna despise it. Yeah, so. I think I'm at the point where, you know, with remakes in general, and we're getting way into a tangent, but we'll, we'll wrap it up in a second. But I think I'm, I've am i hit like a Zen point where I'm like, look, if it's good, I can enjoy it. If it's not good, then I don't ever have to think about it again. Right. Like, you know, even the movies that I really used to hate, like Spider-Man 3. When I first saw it, I hated that because there were only three Spider-Man movies. And that one basically ruined the idea of them having a good trilogy. Sure. But then now there's been four more since then. So there's like seven or eight or Spider-Man movies, depending on how you count. And as like as one of seven or eight, it's fine. <laughs> you know what I mean? You like, just throw them on the pile. I mean, right. it, it gets yeah. added to the stack. I see what you're saying. It's just I think certain things should just be left alone. You know, just leave it be. If you want to if you want to watch it, watch the actual one the real one but moving on so yes yeah, so, so going back to tom cruise <laughs> yes so do you want to hear my pick sure okay so i figured i would share with the listener the film that kind of got me into watching tom cruise movies and that was cocktail and i watched cocktail cocktail and well i was pretty much like all right tommy c He's a hunk. I kind of want to watch more of his stuff. So from there, like then I watched Top Gun and Risky Business. So I felt it was like a very good entry, you know, to Tom Cruise. But again, you know, I quickly discovered like the phases. And this Mm -hmm. was like just like during the 80s, he was definitely playing these like hammy, you know, roles. So. Yep. Yeah, and that's um, Cocktail, Top Gun, and Days of Thunder in particular, which is my first pick, um, I feel like are kind of a loose trilogy in that like (laughs) they have the same formula where Tom Cruise is a hotshot at whatever his job is. But even as a cocky hotshot, he still needs to prove that he's the best at that job. Yes, and give finger guns. Right. Yeah. So have you seen Cocktail? I have, but not in many years. Okay. So I'll just give like a brief synopsis. But essentially, Tom Cruise, he gets out of the army. He tries to find a job in New York City. 
but he doesn't have a college degree. So when he's like applying, people are like, yeah, get out of here, kid. You know, you got no future. So then he starts slinging cocktails at like an uncle's bar and trying to go to night school, but then quickly drops out of school and decides to pursue cocktail life. And he meets this guy and they have this whole dream that they want to have their own bar one day and it will be called Cocktails and Dreams. And at one point or the other, the two have a falling out. And then the story kind of goes off the rails where Tommy C ends up in Jamaica and he meets Elizabeth Shue and they end up getting it on. And then at some point, oh, she's pregnant and la la la, things go crazy. So it is a wild movie. I like the soundtrack. We actually have it on vinyl. <laughs> Oh, really? Yes. Um, we picked it up at a thrift store, I think. I feel like I feel like I remember having a pretty good soundtrack. Yeah. And I feel, though, again, like this is a good entryway for the, you know, if you're looking to get into the hunky Tom Cruise movies, because from here, like, you can then go on to the Risky Business, the Top Gun. He also is in color, The Color of Money and All mm -hmm. the Right Moves is another one. Also, side note, All the Right Moves, he gets it on with Marty's mom. So he not only gets it on with Marty's mom, but also <laughs> one of his girlfriends, which I think is interesting. That is funny. Uh, but also, in, in receiving this question, I was reminded about Movie John having Tommy C. Appreciation Club, which mm -hmm. we kind of sort of abandoned. But I feel like this is now like making me feel like we need to bring it back to life. So are you aware of Tommy C. Appreciation Club? Yeah, I feel like we um, are the screening where we all went to Mission Impossible Fallout together. I feel like. Right. Yeah, I feel, I feel like we did a Tommy C. appreciation, uh, like selfie or something. Well, I would like to read the oath to you that was created by Movie John contributor Jamie Davis, the fixer. Mm -hmm. It says... And former guest. Yes, former guest. The Tommy C. Appreciation Club, or TCAC, solemnly swears to watch and appreciate all three theatrical performances by Tom Cruise then recap them roundtable style. So basically uh, on Movie John, we were watching a Tommy C flick and then we would write about it. And when we say roundtable, each of us kind of participates in the review and it was a lot of fun. And I realized like we need to bring this back to life because you mentioned Mission Impossible and now I'm remembering I had you guys fill out the Tommy C report card, mm -hmm. which has five different, basically a rating from one to five, one being the low, lowest, five being the highest. But we had several categories on the report card, which were smile, show me the teeth, stunts, see you in another life, intensity, which that is such a perfect way to describe his acting. Yep. Running, so feeling the need, the need for speed and then the last category maverick and essentially we would give them a rating in each category and it was a lot of fun so we should bring that back we should bring that back we have a, we even have like a really cool logo for it and everything the logo is fantastic yeah and for our listeners you can go on movie john and search tommy c it comes up but it's it's basically tommy c laughing from risky business with the sunglasses on but it's in the style of the mgm logo so mm -hmm. instead of the lion you have tom's face the it's... only thing more intense than a lion right so how about you what did you pick yeah so uh i picked days of thunder uh which i think comes at, at right before he transitions from hunk to please take me seriously as an actor i would like some awards please <laughs> right. um and you know ebert in his review basically said like okay we get it there's a formula this is the tom cruise formula uh writ into its ultimate form in a way um 
he actually has a story by credit on this movie. Um, and it is about the world of NASCAR. Um, and I have to say there's probably some part of this movie that contributed to my sort of lifelong on again, off again relationship with motor racing as a sport. Um, and it recently got a new 4k release. Um, and it looks fantastic. So it's directed by Tony Scott. It has the most orange of sunsets you could ever imagine. Even the poster just has cruise in the top in bold orange. And then He's lit in orange, but his face is in, like, purple. Okay. Um, it also has a pretty good soundtrack. It has a really good score by Hans Zimmer that's all rock music. But this was um, his first co-starring with Nicole Kidman. Um, and it's just, it's a, it's a good, it's a good enough, decent sports movie. It has the wherewithal to only be 108 minutes. So it's not, like you know, a sports epic or anything. Uh, it tells a story. He is a, you know, hotshot driver, new to the world of NASCAR. He needs to learn how to drive these particular kinds of cars as opposed to what he's been doing. He gets in a couple different rivalries. Um, you know, everybody has a lot of fun. It's a good time. He learns, you know, a lesson or whatever by the end. Or whatever. Um, <laughs> but it's it's very fun. And I think... You know, I think these early movies really show, you know, to answer the question of how he became a star, he's very charismatic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually, so I haven't seen this one. However, I don't know why, but why am I correlating it with Paul Newman? Well, Paul Newman, uh, so he and Paul Newman raced cars when they were making The Color of Money together. Yes. And that was like in a documentary about yes. Paul so the, Newman and the, racing. Yes, which is okay. a fantastic documentary. Um, and so Tom Cruise is in that documentary briefly, and that is what inspired him and why he has a story by credit on Days of Thunder. Okay. Because I had watched the Paul Newman racing documentary, mm-hmm. and that's what I was remembering. Because, yeah, I haven't seen Days of Thunder. I'll have to check that one out. I actually think we might have a VHS copy. Again, found it at a thrift store. But you would probably be upset because you probably think I should watch the 4K. I mean, if you want to borrow the 4K, I can. I would be happy to arrange that. Okay. Maybe I'll borrow the 4K because at least the picture would probably be awesome compared to trying to watch a VHS. Yeah. All right. So before we sign off, Don't forget that you can find a breakdown of the episode on moviejohn.com under MJ Pods, where you can also subscribe to our quarterly print movie zine, which is now shipping out, and it features writing and artwork regarding the carnival, circus, and state fair movies. So please make sure to go to moviejohn.com slash shop to subscribe. And then you can also follow us on social media. We are on Twitter at I Saw It in a Movie. And if you're seeking movie advice, send us your questions via email to dear I Saw It in a Movie at gmail.com. And also, we just got our first piece of postal mail. Yay. So, Yay. if you, very exciting. Yeah. So, if you also want to send us mail, we would happily take your question that way. You can send it to P.O. Box 20172, Philadelphia, PA, 19145, Attention Movie John. And again, don't forget to send Ryan his Titanic tapes. Yes, please. And Ryan, where can people find you at? Sure. Uh, you can find me on um, cinema76.com. Uh, where I am frequently writing. I also recently had an article published on moviejohn.com about the great movie ride at Disney World that is sadly no longer with us uh, as a tie-in to the new issue of the zine. Um, And then you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at Whatever that we mentioned earlier in the show. Um, And you can find my Formula One podcast if you want to hear me talk more about motor racing uh, wherever you're listening to wherever else you catch your pods. So that's, uh, it's called F yeah, F one. 
Cool. And you can find me on Instagram at the.oldsport or Twitter at bonjouroldsport. And you can also check out my other podcast, Cinematic Crypt, in which I go six feet under to uncover films of Hollywood's past. And you can find that show wherever you catch your pods or for download at moviejohn.com under MJ Pods. And I too have some writings in our new print scene, so make sure to pick that up. Now, before we go, um, Ryan, do you have a piece of advice? This is something that uh, Nicole Kidman's character says to Tom Cruise's character in Days of Thunder. Control is an illusion, you infantile egomaniac. Nobody knows what's going to happen next. Not on a freeway, not in an airplane, not inside our own bodies, and certainly not on a racetrack with 40 other infantile egomaniacs. (laughs) And it's just a good reminder that we're not in control. (laughs) No, you just kind of have to go with it. Mm Mm-hmm. So mine comes from, and hold on one second, because I'm blanking on his last name here. Okay. Yes, you will have to edit. Sorry. Okay, here it is. So my piece of advice comes from Brian Flanagan, who's played by Tom Cruise in Cocktail. And he said, go ahead. Brian Flanagan may be the least Tom Cruise name that has ever that he's ever played. I I kind of like it though. I just don't buy him as Irish. No, but that's like why it works. All right. <laughs> but here's what he said. He said, "Jesus, everything ends badly. Otherwise, it wouldn't end," which is so true. Like mm-hmm. you think about it, and it's like, "Yep, that's why things end because something bad happened." So, yeah, that's it. That's a delightful note to end on. (laughs) (laughs) So pleasant. So thanks for listening. And remember, for every question, there is a movie with the answer. Until next time, goodbye. Bye-bye.